0: You're listening to the Digital Introverts Podcast, a show where introverts share their success and failure stories and discuss how they thrive in the digital age. I'm your host, Godwin Chan. Let's begin. Episode 15 of the Digital Introverts Podcast features Hamza Khan a multi-award-winning marketer, best-selling author, and global keynote speaker. He is a top-rated educator, serial entrepreneur, and respected thought leader whose insights have been featured by notable media outlets such as Vice, Business Insider, and The Global Mail. Hamza dedicatedly supports youth and early talent through his work as Managing Director of Student Life Network, Canada's largest and most comprehensive educational resource hub. Which currently serves over 2.7 million students. From TEDx stages and international conferences to MBA classrooms and Fortune 500 boardrooms, Hamza gets invited regularly to deliver keynotes and workshops around the world. In 2017, he self published his first book, The Burnout Gamble, which instantly became a bestseller. Let's get right into it. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Introvert podcast. Uh, Today we have a very special guest, Hamza Khan, in the building. Welcome.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much. Sir. Sorry, I got a little excited over there.
0: No worries, no worries. Thank you for coming on and uh, really, you know, appreciate it, you know, especially uh, how you know the way we got connected, you know, definitely through our mutual connection Mufus, right? And that's how I first heard or learned about about yourself and really been you know fascinated with following your journey um since you did mention that you were an introvert Mm -hmm. right and and so you know thank you again for for coming on
1: dude the pleasure is all mine mafuz is the homie thank you so much for the connection man this is uh this is a really interesting topic and uh you know i i spend a lot of time thinking about it i'm obviously living it as an introvert but i've rarely had an opportunity to discuss it let alone uh have it broadcasted to all of your fans and to a wider audience and so i'm really excited to get right into it
0: perfect first question.
1: Uh, really, I have for you is
0: you know I am very much inventing this new term you know digital introverts, digital introversion, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I guess in your opinion, what does that mean to you? You know, what does being an introvert mean to you in the digital age? I know we've talked about your color coding system for your calendar mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how you know intense that is. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, my calendar looks like a crayon, just a box of crayons, just exploded <laughs> on my screen, man. Uh, dude, I guess I guess when we talk about digital introversion, like if we just separate the digital from that term altogether and consider what introversion is, uh, that might be a good place to start with this. I think for the longest time, I actually thought I was broken as a human being. I mean, I remember being really emotional, very shy, and at times I felt like I was even antisocial. And at its worst, when I was at my most introverted, I thought I was misanthropic, like I thought I actually hated people. But looking back, that was really just me not understanding what it took for me to gain energy and what was involved with me losing energy. And once I was able to figure out through a whole bunch of evaluations, the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs evaluation, StrengthsFinder 2.0, Lumina, Spark, and all of these sort of personal diagnostics, I learned that introversion was simply a a mode, an expression of how I either generated or lost energy, specifically in social settings. And so I understand now that I lose energy in social settings with strangers or people who aren't in my close circle. But if I'm meeting with friends, if I'm catching up with colleagues and people that I have a familiarity with, actually in most cases I gain energy. So when you take that concept and then you apply it online, that's where it gets really interesting. I mean, being an introvert in the digital age can be exhausting if you play by its rules. Uh, the apps that you use—Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. TikTok, so on and so forth, they all want you to use them all the time. They want you to respond in real time. They want you to have real-time engagement. And that can be really unnerving. That can be really unsettling and disrupt your equilibrium if you are naturally an introvert. So the expectation to post something online and then be available to respond to comments or to post a story and then to be constantly refreshing your feed, uh, constantly refreshing your app rather, to check how that story is doing, how many views you're getting, to respond to all of the engagement, whether it's comments or micro-engagement like uh, some of the, the built-in actions, man, it, I, I imagine that for people who don't have digital discipline, being a digital introvert can be very, very, very taxing. And I know that for a fact because I once was that person and I've had to t- train myself over time uh, to have digital discipline, if you will.
0: Right, for sure. And obviously one of those ways is by doing your color-coded calendar now can yeah. you kind of describe to the listeners in a bit, little bit more detail on what that looks like especially you know with the different colors that you use and how Absolutely. you find out your weeks and things like that
1: oh dude uh, i'm glad you asked that right i i get re- i really nerd out about this so feel free to cut me off at any time if i'm rambling <laughs> No worries. I, I, like a couple of years ago, was getting really fed up with my calendar. And not just that, my, my weeks were really jam-packed. And at the end of every workday, I was getting exhausted. And this culminated in me burning out in spectacular fashion in 2014. There was just really no rhyme or reason to what was happening in my calendar. And I equated now whenever I speak about my calendar to a budget. In the same way that you wouldn't let somebody reach into your pocket and take out money, why do we so freely allow people to reach into our calendar and book up time? And I didn't have any rules around what went into my calendar. There was no structure, there was nothing that was recurring, there was no time allocated and carved out for me. I had just a bad relationship with time altogether. And so I ended up becoming really resentful of the people that I was meeting. I would have sometimes like 10 meetings a day, back to 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 back. And I was so wiped at the end of these days. I mean, I was a zombie. People could just be moving their mouths and I would just be you know, squinting through my eyes, trying to, trying to parse together something that they said. They made some sound that sounded like a word and whatnot. It was a mess. And I realized that I had to reconfigure how I viewed my time and tailor it to my personality. I know now that I lose energy anytime I'm in a social setting, specifically a social setting with a stranger, or a social setting that is highly demanding in terms of the expression of self that is required of me. If I have to do a pitch, if I have to do a presentation, if I have to teach a class, these are all really taxing things for me. And so even today, right, don't get me wrong, I've been looking forward to this podcast, but I had to be realistic and label this as orange in my calendar. So I try to structure my color coding uh, from cold to hot. So if something is blue, if something is light blue, that means means that it's work. And actually, green is what I use to indicate something that is restorative. So if something is really vibrant green, like going to the gym or eating, that means I'm going to get energy from it. If something is light green, like I'm meeting with a friend, I'm meeting with a family member, that you know, requires a little bit of effort, but it's still ultimately res- restorative when you tally it up. Where things get dicey though, is when things are yellow. So yellow typically translates to travel and travel provides a certain level of friction in your life. And so I lose energy when I travel. Then when I do things that require me to be on like a podcast, it's orange, and when I have to be really on, like delivering a keynote or you know delivering a massive workshop or a sales pitch or whatnot, that's when it becomes red. And I have to be very careful now about how many of those yellow, orange, and red things I have structured in a day, How much recovery time i have so how much green pads those moments and then back to back in a week how many days in a row can i chain together or not those orange and red things so for example today's a really bad week because i have nothing but every single day orange red orange red orange red all culminating tomorrow into a keynote address first thing in the morning so i have to be very careful right after this podcast to not have anything else that is going to deplete my energy. So after this podcast, I'm going to go home. I'm going to relax. I'm not going to do any work. I'm going to watch a movie, watch a show, eat, get plenty of sleep. Tomorrow morning, go to the gym. You know, a friend reached out and was like, hey, do you want to grab breakfast tomorrow morning? I was like, I actually can't because I need to be all in and totally recharged. If you think about this as a battery, totally recharged in order to exhaust myself and deplete myself with this hard red keynote tomorrow. So hopefully that's a little bit of a glimpse into what my color coding system does. It's basically a visualization of where I'm going to gain and lose energy any given day, any given week.
0: Wow. Fa- fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away by what you just described, right. And in, in terms of, and, and you liken it to a budget, which, you know, I agree with, right. And it, it's really granular in that sense where, you know, you Literally track every single minute of your day. What what you're spending it on, uh, where you're at. Is it an energy suck or is it an energy gain? Right, and so yeah.
1: yeah, man. And and to that point, like, what are budgets other than reflections of your priorities, right? And so where you spend your money is a reflection of what's important to you and what's necessary. And so similarly, a calendar is a budget of your time, which is arguably invaluable compared to money. So we should be treating our calendars like the most important organization system in our lives and. I I say this all the time now, especially to mentees, I say, show me your calendar and I'll tell you what's important to you. And so the things in your calendar should all be indicative of the life you're currently living and hopefully the life you want to live, and so you have to make sure that you have things in there that are dedicated towards you showing up and being your best for whatever that is.
0: Right, for sure. And you know, we were t- just talking a little bit earlier how you know the best thing in the world, at, at least for both of us, is concerned is when someone cancels meeting on you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, music
1: to my ears, man. I mean, like right before this. So another trick that I have when it comes to my color coding is that I try to batch things together that are high energy, and I call it riding the wave. So let's say I do a keynote, I. Need to sustain that energy so i have no problem transitioning from a keynote into a networking event or from a keynote into a dinner with uh some people that i want to do business with because i'm gonna ride that high i'm already in that headspace it's when i actually disconnect either intentionally or unintentionally from that moment that i become aware that i've lost energy but while i'm in the moment i try to keep it going so i actually had a podcast scheduled right before this and earlier this morning they messaged me saying unfortunately something's come up Uh, we're going to have to reschedule. And I was like, yeah, no problem, man. That's totally cool by me. We can reschedule this. We'll schedule it far into the future when I don't have as hectic of a week. But this also allowed me to show up and be 100% present for this podcast, which I was going to do anyways. But now I know that I'm not going to have the proportional recovery period needed after that because that would have been two hours of recovery uh, to be in proportion with two hours of energy expenditure. I try to sort of balance minute for minute, hour for hour.
0: Mm, for sure, and that makes sense. Honestly, when someone cancels meeting on myself, you know, also that is. <laughs> also I I, I think of it as, a, as a blessing as well as a
1: blessing it's a gift of time man it truly is
0: you know you know not not to say that you know I'm not concerned for the other person who will have to cancel but at, <laughs> at the same time it's like it's like finding money on the ground just, <laughs> you know, I found free time essentially right that's what it is
1: yeah dude I last week I had to look at my calendar and I have a really busy speaking schedule in q1 of this year and uh dude I just looked at my calendar and I'm like there's a lot of meetings over here that really can't happen I mean I'm gonna be at these meetings and I I'm going to be resentful that I'm at these meetings. I'm going to be at these meetings and they're not actually conducive to me showing up and being my best for those highly red periods that need me, those very red periods that need me rather. So I just, apologize to everyone and canceled canceled cancel cancel canceled and everyone was cool about it because they understand and a lot of them were, were people who are very close to me and they know that I'm an introvert and that I lose energy in social settings and, and it has nothing to do with them it truly doesn't have anything to do with the other person it has everything to do with just my personality type and how I was socialized and how I've come to develop and gain energy or lose energy at a biological at a biochemistry level so it's it is what it is it's it's just a product of me being me and, and I want to meet with as many people as i can i want to maintain my friendships and my relationships but i have to do it in a way that makes sense for my biochemistry makeup
0: right for sure and definitely the best way really is to be in tune with your own body's needs and, and desires as well because if, when that when there is a, a dissonance with that right when when your body you know really needs sleep for example and you know you're still up at three in the morning that's not you know exactly very conducive to you know being the best that you can be right and and, and showing up and being present right? To your right. engagements. And, you know, as I say this, this is the thing that I've even struggled with, right? For, for a long time, just, you know, especially in terms of taking my time back, right? And being in control of my calendar rather than the calendar being in control of me.
1: Right, even, right.
0: Or even just time in general being in control of myself and so even after reading your medium article right on the color coded system I, mm-hmm. I you know i was pleasantly surprised on how you know efficient you can make that you know make it to be and so i started to incorporate some of those principles like for example even today right i had had a podcast recording this morning uh, with another friend of mine, which is fine. You know, I, I, that was like, that was 10 in the morning. And, you know, as we're recording, this is, we're recording at what, like almost 630 in the evening.
1: 630. Right? Yeah. So that's plenty of time to recover, right? To you regain right. your energy and then show back up to that moment.
0: That's right. I, I, I did this on purpose, right? In terms of, you know, I remember when, even just a few years ago when I was uh, still in undergrad, right, in university, I was very much involved in in student club life, right, student club activities and, and things That's like not. that. And so I would have, you know, long classes during the day and then I would typically have uh, meetings in the evening. And so I sometimes would bunch up a lot of these different things together. Right. And by the by the end of the end of the night, I just you know you can visibly see me shutting down. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, me that you bad. all the signs, right? Like you see, uh, you know, the the heart palpitations. You can see the twitchiness. Um, you know, you start to stutter a lot more and you start to doze off and stare off into the distance and, you know, you're, you get the headaches. There, there's all kinds of physical signs that you are, are are at a loss of energy. And and this is where it gets important to treat our bodies like the vehicles that they are. We have to have a level of respect for them and do the right things and fuel them up accordingly and, and, and you know, make sure that we're not subjecting them to unnecessary wear and tear. And, and part of that as an introvert requires just coming to terms with how you gain and lose energy. That's all it is. Introversion is not, it's, it's, we shouldn't confuse it for, the, for for being shy or antisocial. Uh, you know, I, I think I told you this before, but for the longest time, I thought I was broken. I thought that there was something wrong with me when I was younger, before I had an understanding of what introversion actually is. You know, I I called it a whole bunch of things. I mislabeled it. I mislabeled it as being emo, as being antisocial, as being shy. And at its worst, uh, you know, I thought I was misanthropic. So It's not that. It really isn't. I I like people. I love people. I love my friends. I love my family. When I meet people, I I genuinely try to be as generous and giving and as compassionate as I can be. But I just have to come to terms. I had to come to terms with, and now I, I, I intentionally design my schedule to respect my biochemistry
0: right and and that makes a lot of sense right in, mm-hmm. in terms of just really you know mind-body alignment that's that's what yes. i like to call it
1: 100 percent, man
0: and, and obviously you know when this mind-body alignment is out of whack essentially for a longer time to- or a long period of time or that sort of thing then burnout easily happens right and i, oh, I know yeah. you're very big on this topic oh yeah as i've heard from Mufus actually <laughs> oh yeah Oh yeah. and and you know of course I've, I've experienced that you know as well um here man just in, in terms of a couple, I mean, couple of years ago, even just because I was just, of course, not not aligned with my body and with my with my time, and you right. know, I, I, or I I wasted a lot of time really thinking about things when I should be you know doing things, and vice versa. Sometimes you know I've been doing a lot, and then I don't have that time to rec- sit recover, think, and things like that, right? Right. And so and sometimes even just a couple of years ago, when and, and this ties into. Also, my period of time when I didn't know what to do as a career, right? And mm-hmm. this was post-undergrad, actually. <laughs> For a couple of years, I was uh, wandering around a little bit. And,
1: and floating, yeah. Sometimes,
0: and and sometimes I just didn't want to get up some some days, right? It was just, yeah. I just didn't feel like being productive today. And so I would, you know, waste a lot of time being inside my own head.
1: Well, it sounds like you were going through a bit of a depressive episode back there. It could have even been a full-blown depression. It
0: could have been. I, I you know, I could have, you know, I, I thought about it about it you know it wasn't anything officially diagnosed or anything but i thought you know i was not in a good place you know a couple years ago and of course you know that related to you know burnout anxiety about the future things like that and you know i'm just curious to you know to know about more of your you know your journey on that on figuring out what burnout is and how even that relates to introversion i've Curious to see if that there's a correlation or anything.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, uh, wow. Thank, thank you for sharing that. That that's really brave of you to do so. And uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities with your story and mine. I think burnout now officially has a definition that has been sanctioned by the World Health Organization. Which, for me, as somebody that's been speaking about burnout, has been thinking about burnout, has been writing about burnout, uh, is extremely vindicating. Uh, they now call it a medical diagnosis resulting from workplace stress that has been chronically, sorry, chronic workplace stress that has gone unmanaged that has been successfully unmanaged and so wait I'm, I'm stumbling on that that has been unsuccessfully managed <laughs> <Very> <laughs> okay successfully unmanaged but yeah I guess that's also right as well well yes the point yes yes <laughs> is that when you're perpetually stressed at work when you're emotionally physically mentally depleted and you're persisting and pushing through that threshold of stress Uh, On the other side of it is total collapse. And that's what happened to me. And I hinted at this earlier about me being resentful uh, regarding my calendar. I just had a bad relationship with time. My time was filled with things that weren't replenishing. And so I I was running on empty and then I was redlining on top of that. So there was no time for recovery, no time to oscillate between, or rather no intentionality behind Uh, the oscillation from high stress activities and stressful activities, period, to recovery. And so all I was doing was just giving, 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 giving my time, giving my energy, giving my attention. And uh, there was not enough sleep. The sleep was the first thing to go, followed by fitness, followed by diet, followed by relationships. And there's actually a structure of burnout that has been coined by the people that uh, came up with the term in the first place, Dr. Herbert Freudenberger and Dr. Gail North. In the 70s, they came up with the term burnout and they created a 12-step model that illustrates how somebody might be able to sequentially pass through the different stages to burnout. Now, of course, we know now that there are things that can happen in your life, like the death of a spouse or other traumatic events that might catapult you from whatever stage you're at all the way to full-blown burnout syndrome. But for the most part, occupationally speaking, you, you pass through those stages in sequence and it starts with the compulsion to prove oneself and working harder, neglecting your needs, so on and so forth, until you're at stage 11, which is depression, and then stage 12, which is burnout syndrome. So so my story was, you know, in a nutshell, is that I, I was a hard worker. And uh, I believed in the axiom of hard work equals success. And, uh, you know, that's a work ethic that I got as a first generation student from my hardworking immigrant parents. But I didn't know that, you know, after you work hard, and you achieve a level of success and permission space, it's then time to work smart. And so my, my unhealthy habits of of productivity. And, and at, at the time as well, factors from outside of my control, competition, alienation, society, uh, technology, loneliness, the economy, all of these things were sort of preheating me for burnout. And then when you feel like you're not enough in this capitalist system, when your self-worth is tacked onto how productive you are and how valuable you are in the marketplace, I continued to feed into those patterns. And I tried to be more valuable to feel, to feel more enough, if you will, And uh, what do they say? The hardest worker gets the biggest shovel. And the harder I worked, the more responsibilities I got. But my inability to control what was happening to me just saw me spiral. And I burned out in spectacular fashion. And, uh, you know, you described not wanting to get up some days just laying in bed. Well, for me, because I didn't take time for my wellness, I was forced to make time for my illness for an entire month. And certainly longer than that, I was in a depressive episode. I think it was full blown, full blown depression, man. And I was sick Uh, for a month. I didn't leave my house. Uh, I just laid in bed. Now, thankfully this happened during the winter break while I was working in a higher education institution. So it wasn't very noticeable that I had been absent from work, but had this happened any other time, I would have had to have taken sick leave. And, uh, you know, my, my, my productivity didn't exactly get back to where it was. Now, don't get me wrong. There is such a thing as high functioning depression. There is such a thing as high functioning. Uh, you, you can, you can push through the burnout and still be productive, but it was having diminishing returns. And I had to take a a very intentional break from my work and reconfigure how it is that I worked and, and more importantly than that, why I was working. I had to get back to me. I had to deload my priorities, reconfigure my focus, assemble boundaries around the stressors that were getting me in the first place. I had to eventually gain a mastery of stress. I had to overcome my my innate belief in, in overachievement and over time I had to nurture resilience such that I could influence two variables. One, the frequency and probability of stress in my life and two, the impact that stress had on my life. Because when you talk about burnout, what you're really talking about is stress. I mean, burnout is to a cold what a runny nose... So burnout, burnout is to stress what a runny nose is to a cold. It's just a symptom. That's what it is. If you're burned out, that is a symptom, that is symptomatic of an unhealthy relationship with the underlying problem, aka stress.
0: Right, definitely, and you know, thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, a little insight into you know definitely what happened right back then, and then also um, how you came out of it in in terms of you know. And I'm also very blown away because how you describe it is it's it, it sounds like you've gotten it down to an exact science. I'm sure you have, right? But that's 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 my impression, right, of how uh, you know your relationship with with burnout with stress and 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 things like that and obviously you know definitely you know you've had put a lot of thought into it and even wrote a book about it right and so yeah, man. I can tell you have thought a lot about a lot about it
1: and, and 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 yeah thank you man the the thinking is still ongoing like i'm i'm now reconceptualizing what the systemic challenges are what the systemic problems are that result in people burning out i mean i wrote that book and published it in 2017 and uh you know you would think that with the increased awareness around burnout and stress specifically in the workplace and adoption of policies that would seek to reduce stress and promote health and wellness and well-being overall that logically it would follow that rates of stress and burnout globally would decrease, but I found quite the opposite trend to be emerging. uh, That not only has stress and burnout rates increased, uh, in some cases they've exponentially increased, they've doubled, they've tripled, they've quadrupled. And so I'm shocked, I'm stunned, and I need to now reconceptualize just where the responsibility lies for for addressing this challenge. And I think that, you know, we're, we're here talking about what it means to be an introvert in the digital age and, you know, steps that we can take as individuals to reduce our stress and to, to live more intentionally. But where is the responsibility really? It can't just be, the onus can, can't just be on the individual, because if that was the case, we wouldn't be seeing these, these alarming stats that we're seeing right now. Right. And, you know, just to get your opinion, what do you think would be, of
0: course, obviously, you have the individual who, you know, will have some part of that onus, right? But kind of what other, you know, organizations or other parties would be, you know, very privy to
1: that sort of shared responsibility, right, to tackle this uh that's a good question, man. And uh, I alluded to this at the end of my book. I think I maybe spent like just two or three pages talking about three levels of responsibility the responsibility of the government, the responsibility of the organization slash business, and then the responsibility of the individual. And the Burnout Gamble was written very much as a manual for the individual with some loose acknowledgement of the systemic factors. And, uh, you know, I shared in my book some of my probably naive, but mostly optimistic visions for the future. But uh, unfortunately, I'm feeling a little more cynical. I'm feeling a little more skeptical now, looking at some of those the, the early pieces of research that are coming back from my team around how irresponsible some leaders are, specifically organizational leaders. And these are leaders of companies that are winning awards that we're touting as you know the best employers in the country, the best employers in the world. And you go on their websites and you go on their human resources page, you go on their culture page, and they're saying all the right things. They're saying, we care about our employees. We practice flexibility. You know, we have this feature, we have nap pods, we have catered lunches, so on and so forth. But then you go to the glass door reviews, of these very same companies and the reviews are incessant that are chiding these leaders for promoting a culture of burnout, for creating a culture of burnout, for intentionally burning people out. And so I think that I need to dig a little bit deeper into this and figure out what the hell is going on. And I'm a little scared to, to dive further into this because I think that I'm going to confront a very unsettling truth about our world specifically about capitalism, specifically about the organizations that we believe to be the leaders in the space. And I think it's this, my theory going into it is this, that there's two types of leaders. There's the leaders who are aware that they are contributing to burnout culture, and there's the leaders who are unaware that they are contributing to burnout culture. Now let's take the leaders who are unaware. If you are unaware that you are contributing to burnout culture, but you care about people, That's good because we can educate you. If you are aware that you are contributing to burnout culture, but you care about people, then that's good as well because we can empower you to make some changes. Now, where it gets scary is that if you are unaware that you are contributing to burnout culture, but you don't care about people, my goodness, that is terrifying. And what's even scarier than that is if you are aware as a leader that you are contributing to burnout culture, but you don't care about people. That is the worst kind of leader. Those are straight up monsters in my book. These are people who have no regard for their fellow human beings and worse, in some cases might be actively involved in their destruction. And you see this in some of the worst case examples. You hear about these nightmare CEOs. You hear about, for example, an article came out in The Verge in which a employee and multiple employees rather of a company that we looked at not that long ago as like a Silicon Valley or rather a New York unicorn story Uh, Away the bags the bags that you saw ads on for the TTC ads on the TTC for a very long time Uh, You know very fashionable Uh, super millennial bags, if you will, travel luggage company. And the stories that came out in this piece were frightening. I was like, is this how some humans treat other human beings? And the answer was yes. I mean, we're talking about a CEO who was so paranoid and distrustful that they actually required employees who were working from home to take a photo of their setup to prove that they were working from home. Like how dehumanizing is that? So that was happening. And this is happening with companies that you would be shocked if I were to tell you their names.
0: Right. And I, I was going to mention the away debacle as well, right? Yeah. Where you mentioned it. And, you know, reading that piece was really, A, was very good piece of investigative journalism. And B, it was shocking, really. Just especially reading those Slack messages. It was like, oh, man. how can people treat other people like this? Right. And yeah. I had, you know, nothing else to say. It was just, it was just shocking. right?
1: So I've, I've been working, you know, just uh, on that note, on creating a model for, I think, what, what I'm—I don't have a better name for it, but I'm calling it flammable leadership, essentially. And so these are the six signs that you are working for somebody that is creating a burnout, a culture of burnout. And and if I could just share them with you real quick, Godwin, these are the six hallmarks of flammable leadership. Now this is still so early in its conceptualization, so it's entirely possible that a year from now, heck, even a month from now, these will change. But I think I'm onto something here. The first one is that the leaders haven't defined what success looks like, and when you haven't put a finish line in place, when you haven't defined what a goal looks like, what what it means to score, it gets a little worrisome because the goalposts are constantly going to shift. You're going to have to work harder in the pursuit of something that isn't actually there at the end. You're not going to get the dopamine rush from completing something. The second one is the leaders haven't prioritized outputs over outcomes. They're so focused on the optics on the things that happen, the small precursors to the eventual goal, that it creates a pressure to perform. And a pressure to perform for all the wrong reasons. The focus should be on the outcomes, on getting the job done. Number three is leaders don't invest in professional development. And all the studies show that when you don't invest in an employee's professional development, that engagement drops. And once employee engagement drops, that negatively reverberates throughout the organization and it affects everything else, especially the bottom line. Number four is that leaders care disproportionately about the mission. I think that you have to balance both a focus on the mission as well as a focus on the people. And if you're too focused on the mission, it comes at the expense of the people. If you're too focused on the people, it comes at the expense of the mission. You have to strike this really delicate balance, a dichotomy of leadership, if you will, and taking a page out of Jocko Willing's book. And then lastly, leaders enable an unsafe environment. And I think we have to redefine what we mean by unsafe. I think we all are familiar, especially here in Ontario with, uh, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting their name, but it's the, the Workmen's Safety Compensation Board, Yes. Uh So we think about an unsafe environment as one that's physically unsafe, but so many environments are actually mentally and emotionally unsafe. And I think The Verge, their piece on a way, really exposed what a, what a mentally and emotionally unsafe environment looks like. So those six things that I talked about, those six hallmarks, I think contribute to a flammable environment. And the onus, I believe, is on the leaders, these flammable leaders to change their ways of working so as to not further stress out introverts and digital introverts, but employees in general.
0: Right. And and I think that by hearing the theory, you know, at at a first pass, it it sounds really reasonable, right? In in terms of identifying all the factors that can go into playing into creating basically a toxic workplace, right?
1: Yeah, man, that's what it sounds like, ultimately, right?
0: Is is what it is, right? And so, and and especially, I think for, you know, as introverts, don't think a lot of people who self identify as introverts would necessarily be the whistleblowers or be the people who would kind of speak out and and say that this is not right. Right. I I certainly wouldn't be that kind of person. Right. No. Right. So
1: there are companies that I wish I could, I wish I had the courage to go on Glassdoor and write a review about. There's companies that I wish I had the courage to go talk to a reporter and disclose how I was treated and how I was mistreated. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm not that person, man. I, I, I wish I was, because uh, I think that that would be of great benefit to others. So shout out to those who have come forward, the employees who came forward to tell us what was going on at Verge. Shout out to the employees that talked about what was going on at WeWork and all of the ones who are at risk of, of being outed, because some of these stories on on Glassdoor are so specific in companies that aren't, very that, that aren't very big. And so it doesn't take a lot of guesswork to figure out which employee that is that would have left that review. So you know, I'm sure that this can lead to all kinds of alienation, and even in some worst cases, bullying, harassment, intimidation. So I think that these people are doing us a great service and exposing that uh, the onus is not just on the individual, that the government, that leadership specifically in organizations and businesses play uh, a significant role when it comes to helping all of us to reduce our stress.
0: Right, for sure. And and definitely, you know, whistleblowers really, there's a risk of even professional retribution, in a sense. Yeah, buddy. You be blacklisted from whatever company, whatever
1: company. Oh, man. And I'll tell you, man, as somebody uh, who has gone through situations very akin to what you just described, it's it's terrifying, man. You think you're going to lose it all.
0: Mm, yeah, for sure. And, and that's why I always kudos always goes to uh, these brave souls. <laughs> who. Yeah, who, buddy. Really exposing unsavory practices with companies we've seen with away with we work with Theranos, with Uber, and yeah, goes on going, and on. This right? goes
1: on and on, right? And these are companies that we at one time tout as the paragons, and this is what companies should be. And uh, it's so silly that then get to meet our heroes and realize that they're not what we thought. Right, and definitely, and I think that you know, in particular, that Silicon Valley ethos of growth at all
0: costs. Oh, I, I think that's really sick, outdated, man.
1: man. It's so outdated, and and there's still companies, man. Like, uh, you know what? Let's let's if we're gonna name names, let's do it. I encourage all the listeners to go and look at Google's health and wellness policy. Go to Google's careers page and read what they say about how they treat their employees. It'll make you sick when you compare that against Glassdoor. And I think that you know a lot of work needs to be done. And I look. I'm not saying like I'm running a utopia of a company here. I am sure, I'm confident. I know for a fact that I as a leader have engaged in practices that would be considered flammable. I think especially back when I was an entrepreneur and I first started my company, I was contributing to burnout just by my actions. And I thought that I was doing the right thing by by modeling you know, what I call productive behavior, but that productive behavior was unsustainable for most people. And so you know, I think about even things that I'm doing right now that might be contributing to that, maybe withholding information, maybe not defining clearly enough what's success looks like. So this is not a knock on Google. This is not a knock on WeWork. This is not a knock on a way. I think that, look, I, I'm the last person to say that if, if you've made a mistake, then that defines you for the rest of your life. No, I think that these leaders, they made mistakes, they made bad decisions. I hope though that all of them, including the ones that are working at Google right now, fall into that latter category that I described in the model of, of leadership earlier, which is they they ultimately care about people. Because if you care about people, then whether or not you are aware that you are contributing to burnout culture, as long as you care about people, you can still come back. You can still implement the necessary changes to fix the situation. What I can't fix, however, is if you don't care about people. Because if you don't care about people, I don't know what to tell you, man. You're a sociopath. You're, you're a psychopath. You're you're just an enemy of the people and you need to get out of the way.
0: Right. For, for sure. And then those are typically those kinds of people are the ones that are very hyper focused on on growth or on on the metrics really that's that's, that's what it is right I, that,
1: yeah and it, and in doing so the accrual of resources for themselves like let's 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 be real growth at what cost at everybody else's cost why so that they can live the lifestyle that they want that's what it is it's a wealth creation exercise for them right and
0: that's essentially that's what capitalism is in some yeah. aspect right in in terms of wealth creation for a small group of people while everyone else props them up. That's, that's
1: and really we bad. can see that by every measure, it's not working. I mean, just look around at the zeitgeist. There's a reason why Donald Trump is as popular as he is. There's a reason why a movie that I would consider to be lackluster, safe for the acting, like The Joker, is as commercially and critically uh, successful as it is. There's a reason why Parasite is able to make waves the way that it's making right now. I mean, this idea that the system needs correction, that the system needs an overhaul, is being dramatized time and again. We're seeing its manifestations with the Trump- rallies with uh you know sort of radical expressions online so on and so forth there's a real a a nausea associated with those leaders who are keeping it all for themselves and who are knowingly engaging in the practice of extracting valued and discarding people and it it makes me really upset man Mm -hmm. yeah no i don't i don't think this ends well for for everybody
0: Right, and and obviously we've kind of touched on a huge point of contention, right? And so that you know, definitely with your framework, that positive change can can really happen you know, through the leaders of our organizations, right? To to make that positive positive change, I think that you know what what's stopping them? That's the thing. right? What's stopping them from caring about other people and to you know strike that delicate balance, as you said, as, as you said between you know mission and people work, you know, work in, in your organization.
1: Yeah. And that, and that's the terrifying thing that, uh, is making me hesitating is it make me hesitant to go further down this rabbit hole, because I think that at the bottom of the rabbit hole is an abyss that I'm not yelling. I'm not willing to, to look down into, because I, I don't know how I would react if I find out that there are leaders out there. And, uh, you know leaders that I might even know personally that actually don't care about people and that would uh, that would break me so i'm going to gain the strength necessary to engage in that very red behavior if you will uh, in my calendar if and when i decide to tackle this uh, it's going to be a month or several months of just red in my calendar because it's going to it's going to require every store of energy in my body to deal with something that stressful
0: for sure i think that take all the time you need <laughs> i'm just going to say <laughs> <laughs> thank you man right especially if if it's going to be You know, several weeks of just entire bed blocks and, you know, take your time with it. (laughs) Got to do what I got to do, right? Yeah, no, no, for sure. And, you know, obviously you mentioned, uh, you know, something very curious earlier on in terms of the, you know, individual level in terms of, you know, how we define success uh, as individuals. And, you know, that was actually that was the original premise of my book. My original intersection, if you will, was the intersection between success and introversion. That was what I was originally mm-hmm. going to look at. And I realized that yeah. the digital part came in afterwards when I realized that, oh, you, you know, the vast majority of my interviewees were, you know, people who were making a name for the digital space, right? And finding right. success in that way. So I niched down there, but right. originally I was thinking of how do we define success and how, you know, and, and how that there's no one size fits all kind of definition.
1: I like that, man. That's a really, really interesting area of of, of study and and just a thought to pursue. I think your area of research with regards to your book and and this overall project with the podcast and all of your different ways of, of, of exploring this idea is only going to become more relevant with the passing of time because I do believe that our exposure, and I would take it a step further and say our overexposure to social media and digital technology is fundamentally changing the balance of introversion and extroversion in the population in favor of introverts. I think more people are becoming introverts and those who are introverted are becoming more introverted. I think that you know these mediums lend themselves well to expression as an introvert but they also in some cases disincentivize extroverted behavior.
0: That is a curious thought. That's very interesting. And I think that that in, in some ways right on honest a, on a surface level right you know it makes a lot of sense. Right. in terms of there's a lot of different ways of self-expression nowadays. Right. And, you know, you don't have to, for example, go out to meet people face to face all the time. Right. You can, right. you know, we can, you know, be talking like this, right. Through video conferencing. Right. Exactly. Or we can be communicating through email, through Slack, through all, all the different messaging apps that we have out there right now. And there's a lower barrier to entry really for, you know, for introverts to really express themselves in the way that they want to express themselves. Like, for example, I am a much better writer than I am a speaker. Right. Right. And so my main medium of information exchange is through writing. Right. Right. And so I'm exploring audio through podcasts and I will very soon be exploring video. Right. you You know, creating that content is really, you know, uh, you know richer medium but also it's a way for me to you know express myself in a different way and right. to feel more comfortable doing so yeah right? and so it is really a safe haven for introverts the digital technologies that we have right? i think so man but on the flip side social media in particular has made it that much harder to you know really be a you know conduit for you know kind of positive self-image in the sense that right i was talking about success earlier right? And now it's become so much easier for individuals to really craft their ideal avatars online. There's a huge bias, obviously, towards creating these these online personas or avatars or, or accounts that only portray all the good things that are happening in one's life and not necessarily the sure. overall picture, right? The, the mundane sure. of every day or even yeah. the failures, right? Necessarily. People just oh. see the
1: highlight reels. They don't see the behind the scenes. Exactly. And
0: so this is what... I personally struggled with for a little bit in terms of this behavior is really rampant on platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn in the sense that, you know, Instagram, you can, you know, it's a narcissist playground, right? if right. I'm putting it bluntly. Um, and so you would, you know, see all the fun things that people are doing, right? And so, but on, on LinkedIn, though, that's where you see all the professional achievements. It's like, you know, it kind of gives off the, conveys the feeling that, oh, if you're not a, you know, award-winning whatever by the age right. of whatever... Uh, right. you're not Forbes 30, top 30 under 30 whatever yeah. uh, if yeah, you're not man. in medical school whatever you, you, all these different types of things agree, man. you yeah. don't have all these different you know quote unquote check marks of being successful right and that means you're an inferior person but that's not the case that I don't I, you know that's to me that like, there's not one iota of truth to that right I hear you. Man. But, it, but social media perpetuates that.
1: Yeah, it's tricky, man. And uh, I think that that's, a, that's an un, unfortunate consequence of overexposure and hyper-socialization through social media is this constant comparison and people feeling like they're not in the right time zone. Everyone's looking, like you said, to the other person and thinking, "Why? why do they have this? And why do they have that? Why are they here? And why are they there? And why am I not here? Why am I not there? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? And so on and so forth. It can lead to Uh, A lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. At the same time, though, I I also see the the virtues of social media, specifically for introverts. And in some ways, it seems like an overcorrection for a time that disproportionately rewarded extroverts. I think that for the time that preceded social media, that the world belonged to extroverts. And if you acted in a certain way that was outgoing, that was you know seen as confident in a very traditional sense, the world was your oyster. But now you have people that are much more quiet and timid in disposition, introverts like you and I, who found their voice online who were able to express themselves quietly, but express themselves loudly in a quiet way, if that makes sense. I think that I was able to gain a lot of notoriety and attention by my writing, by my blogging, by the way that I use social media. And that allowed me to come out of my shell in the real world. So I see both sides, man. I really do. I just hope that we strike a balance. And before it gets worse, we figure out how to have digital discipline.
0: Right, definitely, and and we've come full circle in terms of that's how you control your time and and through the calendar and everything, right? And right, so, buddy. And so I'm just curious to know that by really being yourself and and you know doing your writing and and blogging online, that's essentially how you've become to or you've gotten all the opportunities right in, in terms of selling the book and becoming and, and doing speaking engagements you know throughout the world and, and things like that
1: yeah man it's, it's really involved me stepping outside of my comfort zone and and you know just going on adventure after adventure but being consistent with my my outputs and uh you know th- there's a lot that goes into it and, and you know, speaking is a little different from writing and writing is a little different from teaching and teaching is a little different from podcasting, so on and so forth. But with all of these things, they've all been underpinned. The undergirding factor has been you know, resisting my my natural tendency to do nothing, to remain shy, to remain quiet, and maybe even lean into my introversion in, in unhealthy ways. So I've had to train myself to rise to the occasion. Like it's, it, would be, it would have been so much more comfortable for me to not do this podcast. It would have been so much more comfortable for you, Godwin, to not do this podcast. But we both know that stepping outside of our comfort zone and sharing this hour together, or however long it takes to, to sort of wrap up our ideas, that this was conducive to the feeling that we wanted that's going to come after this podcast is recorded and then out into the world. And so we have to make that bargain. We have to make that, that deal with the future. We have to trust that a future version of Hamza, a future version of Godwin is going to be a little more happier because we incurred this momentary stress.
0: Right. And on that note, you, you know, I, I had a blast, really. Oh, man. You know, having this, sharing this hour with you, right, on, on the podcast. Has it been an hour already? It yes. <laughs> yes. See time. Five, I, I, nine, feel nine, like,
1: nine, I feel like, I feel like we just got going, man. Like this is a, uh, we haven't even, uh, dude, this is just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Of course. I, I know. And definitely we need to, uh, you know, continue this conversation in person, if, you know, whenever we have the chance. I
1: right? would love that.
0: And that's the thing, right? That, you know, this is meant to be kind of an introductory kind of conversation and, and, now we have so many different talking points. I I don't even know where, where you know where to continue. But
1: oh man, you know, I think we, we got to, to treat it like a Joe Rogan interview and just 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 chat, man, and like see where it goes.
0: <laughs> you know, I've said this before. I can totally treat it as like a Joe Rogan interview. We could go on for hours and hours, but uh, for the audience, I think you know, let's let's spare them their uh, their attention. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> Thank you. And, and, whoever's and whoever's listening to this, uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate you. We, Godwin and I both truly appreciate you. Don't know who you are, but if if, if you're out there and you want to connect, uh, I'm at Hamza K on Instagram, on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm basically everywhere except TikTok. I was going to uh, ask you on that. Tic- actually, what's funny is that TikTok, <laughs> (laughs) talk is a
0: recurring joke on my podcast
1: actually (laughs) yeah
0: at the very end when when i asked you know where people can connect with with the guests and i would or you know they would usually you know say that like i'm not on tiktok or i would point it out are you on tiktok and it's a hey, sort of hilarious recurring joke
1: yeah god godwin how about how about tiktok as a nightmare for introverts like us eh like you have to actually record yourself and then broadcast yourself probably doing a dance or some other silly thing to the rest of the world if that is not an introvert's worst nightmare i don't know what is
0: Oh, yes. Yes. You know, what's really funny is that I... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's great, though. <laughs> no, I'm sure it, it, it's great for a particular demographic, of course, Gen Z. But <laughs> I, I was going to say um, that I did explore TikTok a little bit. And guess how, how long I, you know, I downloaded the app and guess how long I spent on it? Five minutes. Oh, I'm
1: sure you deleted it like that night. Five
0: minutes, <laughs> five minutes. And then I just delete, deleted uh, it. because I, I just did not understand it. And like you said, it's my, it's my worst nightmare. Even Snapchat to a certain degree. I only had Snapchat for like a month.
1: Jeez, but that, that
0: was it. <laughs> I, I yeah. could handle it.
1: Yeah. Oh man. Well, dude, man, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm really honored, and I'm glad that Mafu's brought our our planets into orbit of one another. And I'm sure that this is the first and and uh, hardly the last time uh, that we're going to be doing this again. And uh, you know, when I fire up season two of my podcast, I'd love to have you on as well, buddy. Perfect. Sounds good. Thank you, Godwin. Thank you so much, man.
0: No worries. Take care. Take care, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Introverts Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at D-I-G-I-I-N-T-R-O-S-H-O-W. And join the Digital Introverts Community Facebook group at D-I-G-I-I-N-T-R-O-G-R-O-U-P can also follow me on all social platforms at g-o-d-w-i-n-h-s-c-h-a-n. I appreciate everyone who listens to the show, and let's change the world, quietly.